Y'all are going to have to figure out how to use this door over here so you don't have such a traffic jam going this direction. <laughs> That's a good thing, though, isn't it? I remember when I came down here years ago, whenever the air conditioner went on or the heat, <laughs> lights would dim. Do you remember that? Some of you have been here a long time. I don't know why that came to my mind. Don't bring up old things like that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, in case you're wondering where we're going to be. Luke 1. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles there. We'll be there in just a few minutes as I give some, I guess you'd call introduction towards the, the passage. Really, if you were to title this message, you say, God is full of surprises. And um, so if you want to write that atop your sermon notes, you can do that. I talk rather fast, so write rather fast. Would that work? Yeah. It also means you get out of here sooner, too, and that's always a plus, isn't it? If you don't know it yet, God is full of surprises. We expect him to do one thing, and he does another. We expect him to go this direction, and he decides that he's going to go that direction. We trust him to handle something immediately, and he makes us wait a long time. And about the time we think that somebody has gone so far that God can't claim them or draw them back to himself, he captures their heart and he turns them to himself. God specializes and doing the things that everybody else thinks is impossible. And we need that encouragement. He does things that you and I have absolutely no power to do. And that's the way that he planned it. As a matter of fact, the more you think about it, the more you realize that we're the very opposite of God. We're finite. He's infinite. We are impotent. He's omnipotent. We're limited and restricted. He has no restrictions whatsoever. We have earthly parameters. He has no earthly parameters or limitations. We live by our clocks and our calendars, and God's not limited by time, clocks, or calendars. He is in neither one of those spheres because he is eternal, and he operates and cares very little about the time on earth or what season it may be or how old you are or how young you are. People are always reminding us, aren't they, how old you are? You shouldn't be doing this at such an age. You shouldn't be riding a skateboard when you're past 65, and you shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. Yes? Wait till you get there. They'll remind you of those kind of things that you're not supposed to do. And the doctor will start saying to you, at your age, and then fill in the blank. And I'm going, really? Have I arrived at that point? Sad thing. He is constantly at work, our God is, in the eternal. He is infinite. And the parameters, he has no boundaries. You say you just said that, but I wanted to say it again in case you missed it the first time. Now, the difficulty in all this is that's the very opposite of the way that you and I think. We are forever aware of when we were born. We're forever how old we are, aware of that, or how young we are. We're forever reminding of ourselves how limited that we are. And we look at the space around us, and we look at the things that are happening around us, and we question all kinds of things. And we don't like to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. And this Thanksgiving, you made everything that was right for the person that came to eat at your house because they like the green beans this way, and they like the potatoes that way, and they like the stuffing with this in it. They don't like the stuffing with that in it. They like their turkey such and such. We like our comfort, and we like it to be done a certain way. With God, he operates beyond those realms. And what we call is impossible He sees it to be no problem whatsoever. Do you realize that God has never had his first frustration? That he has never encountered his first barrier? That he never has nor he ever will meet his first match? We can't count God out of any situation in which we find ourselves. 
Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Now, in that place of all things, place that thing that you consider to be impossible. Put it in that spot. It's possible then with God, isn't it? With God, all things are possible. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary in Luke 137? For nothing is impossible with God. Again, put your item that you think is impossible in that area. Nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you're thinking about, it is a possibility with our God. Now, the Red Sea must have seemed like a dead end. Let's turn around and go back to Egypt. We're sorry we got to go back that direction, but we need to until God parted it. When Joshua and his army looked at the walls of Jericho, they must have thought, ain't no way. We don't have anything that can penetrate these walls until they shouted and they fell flat. I'm sure that the widow of Zarephath, when she scooped out her last little bit of flour and poured the last drop of oil, thought, that's it. Let's walk over here to the corner somewhere and find a place to die until God continued to supply over and over again, according to the word of the Lord. It says, with God, all things are possible, and those things that we consider to be impossible are possible. You and I are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I sound like I'm getting ready to give a pep talk or one of these, uh, you know, encouraging things. I hope it's that way. I do. Many of you are saying to yourself, yeah, I've got an impossible situation. If God doesn't intervene, it just flat out is not going to happen. And God prefers to work in that kind of situation. There is no way, we say. That's when God loves to prove himself as God. So far, all the things that I've shared with you are nice and easy. They're easy to grab a hold of because there are things that have taken place in the past, and we already know the answer to them. But when you're in the midst of something and you don't know the answer or how it's going to work out, uh, it's a little different story. But I want you to know that God's still at work today, and that's why we need the Scripture. That's why we need the reminders of the stories that are there because God proved himself true in the past, and he will again in the future. Today we're going to consider Zacharias and Elizabeth parents of John the Baptist, although they didn't know they were going to be parents of John the Baptist, and they didn't know John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner for Jesus to talk about the Messiah. After all, it was impossible for Elizabeth to get pregnant at her age. Surprise! God doesn't give us a physical and then decide whether he can work with the results that came from that physical as to whether something can happen. He is the giver and author of life. He is the creator of it all. If he can create this that we enjoy out of nothing, then he can take whatever we have and make it into something as well. Now, you may not be as familiar with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth as you are Mary and Joseph and the angel Gabriel who visit them, the shepherd from Zucum and the wise men from the east. What you may not know or remember is all of this hangs on the words of the prophet Malachi. That was the last prophet in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Some people call him the Italian prophet Malachi, but we'll call him Malachi today, all right? He predicted some 400 years earlier that the son of righteousness would arise with healings in his wings, that there would be a sunrise of righteousness, and he, of course, would be the Messiah, and the Messiah would make it possible for men and women to have their sins forgiven forever. But this forerunner would come in the spirit of Elijah. We know him as John the Baptist. He would come ahead of Jesus. He would turn the hearts of the fathers toward the sons and the sons' children toward their fathers. And he would turn the disobedient back to God and live in a righteous way. He would make the crooked places straight, the rough 
healy places, smooth and low, and the hearts of people would be attracted to the Lord. Cool stuff to be put in that position if you're John and you've got that responsibility. After Malachi's prophecy in that last book of the Old Testament, for 400 years, there was never another prophet on the scene. Think about that. That's almost twice as long as our country's been in existence. There's no prophetic word from God. How hungry would you be for a word from God if you hadn't had it in that amount of time? So we call this period the intertestament period in which no prophet was heard. No one would have expected that God would have begun the process of prophecy to take place again through a senior adult couple. That's what I mean. God is full of surprises. God does the impossible where we think it's impossible. Luke 1, you've already opened up there and you say, come on, dude, that's too long of an introduction. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Herod was not a Jew. He was Idumean. Idumeans were descendants of Esau. He was not the rightful king over the Jews, but he was appointed this position by the Roman Senate and by the influence of Anthony and a guy named Octavius, who later became Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Now, if you remember anything about Herod the Great, he was a crafty and cruel tyrant. His whole reign was bathed in blood. If any family member got in his way, off with their head. They were wiped out. It was kind of like a godfather scene, you know, like, and then he took care of folks. Now, he is the guy, if you remember, who made sure that all the babies two years old and younger, male, born in Bethlehem, were executed. He was a diabolical guy. So you think we're in tough political times. You think we're in a divided nation. No matter who our leaders have been, they haven't been as evil nor as diabolical as Herod. Now, into this political scene, God chooses this man, Zacharias and Elizabeth, to bring about change. In addition to the, to the condition in which Herod is there, the Jews in general had lost their, their spiritual vitality. It was a little more than ceremony or rote. You ever been around somebody who goes through the road of a Christian life? They just kind of do their Bible reading because they have to. They do their prayer because they have to. They show up to church because they have to, not because they want to be there. Then when they get to be older, see ya, I'm out of here. You might have been that person that did things through rote. That was the Jewish people at this time. What makes this all the more significant is that in such a condition as this, God chose to act and to move into history and to accomplish his eternal purposes for redemption. The fullness of time had come and God begins to act. Despite all the existing condition, despite all the reason that he shouldn't act at this time, he does. But I want to remind you of this. No matter how tough times become, no matter how dark they are, no matter how difficult they can be, God always uses a remnant of people to make a difference in a society. He did with this godly couple who were devoted and committed to him and willing to be used by him. When conditions are hopeless, that's when God brings hope. No one ever thought he would take actions he did right here in Luke 1. Verse 5 also tells us that there's a certain priest named Zacharias. Here's this senior adult priest who figures that the highlight of his life is going to be to serve out in the temple. And here is his white-haired wife, Elizabeth, who has had to answer the most embarrassing question of her age of a Jewish woman, and that is, do you have any children? No, even though we pray for them often. No. William Barclay, the commentator, writes this. 
In Zechariah's life, there was tragedy. He and Elizabeth were childless. The Jewish rabbis had said that seven people were excommunicated from God, and the list began. A Jew who has no wife or a Jew who has a wife and no child. Aren't you glad we don't live in a time where such a stigma is put on people? But yet in that day and time, if you were a married woman and you had no children, you were accused of being something wrong with you or out of the will of God or your life was messed up. So in spite of their times, in spite of this extra burden of judgment that constantly came upon Zechariah and Elizabeth, look at what Luke writes about their character in verses 6 and 7. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. A godly couple, both from the priestly line, and in spite of their age and in spite of the godlessness around them, noticed they were faithful to obey God's word and to live life blamelessly. They could have had the attitude, ah, we're old. Our days are behind us. What can God do with a couple old fogies like us? You ever been around somebody like that? Yeah, you have. Sometimes it's your grandma or your grandpa. Sometimes it's your dad. You want to say, come on, dad, you can do a lot of things. Come on, mama, you can do this and that. And they say, I can't do what I used to do. And you want to remind them what they can do. And we need you in our lives. All that stuff, right? Look at verses 8 and 9. Now it came about while he was performing his priestly duty in the service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It fell Zechariah's lot to the custom of the priestly office in verse 9 to enter into the temple and to burn incense. In those days, there were about 20,000 priests, so many that they divided them up into 24 divisions, and each priest served only two weeks a year into the temple. Now, they were given this opportunity to serve two weeks out of the year, and Zacharias's two weeks come along. And he is to perform the duties that he is assigned. So they draw lots, and hallelujah, Zechariah is excited. He gets the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies and offer incense, which is a symbol of prayer, up to God. Is this cool or what? You're thinking, man, this is a highlight of my life. I get to do this. What an honor. There are two times in which prayer and incense was offered at the Jewish temple. One was at 9 a.m. in the morning, and the other was at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. What would happen is they would go to the pan that was full of fire, and they would stir it up. The priest would bring incense and pour it on there, and then whoosh, man, this cloud would go up to the sky, and it was still supposed to symbolize prayers that were offered, and that God would smell this incense and accept the prayers that were offered and the sacrifice for the sins of the people. It's an exciting moment. It is this moment that God chooses to reveal his plan to Zacharias. Is it cool or not? To me, I thought, how wonderful it is of God in this particular situation to plan at the altar of incense to answer prayers of salvation and deliverance and now to answer not only Zacharias' prayer for a son, but to offer and answer the prayers for the nation as well. So at the same time, while Zacharias is inside the temple, the people are outside gathering, waiting for a blessing for the priest when he comes out. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now, the priest usually didn't take long at the altar. He put the incense on there. The smoke rose up. He went outside and blessed the people, and that was it. They moved on. 
he moved on. Zacharias prayed for himself and he prayed for the nation. He put the, the incense on the censer. Man, he can't see anything. It's all right there in front of him like a fog. But then as the incense smoke clears, he sees something he's never seen before. Have you ever been freaked out by something and you weren't expecting to see it there? My daughter has this little cutout thing of Elvis playing the guitar in her room. And when she was a teenager, you'd walk down the hallway and you'd see him and you'd forget he was there and you'd go, oh! You should have went, oh, baby, or something like that, right? should have said Elvis, but, I, but it would just freak you out. If somebody's there and they weren't supposed to be there or nobody was there and now they're there, you kind of, you know, yell a little something, right? So you can understand why Zacharias would respond the way he does when an angel shows up after the cloud clears. Verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And we're not surprised when we read verse 11. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him and fear gripped him. You know what always blows me away about the angels when they appear? They freak people out. They put the fear in them and then they say what? Yeah, like, too late. <laughs> it's already done. Did anybody have a video camera? You might get $1,000, $10,000 on America's Funny Videos if you had this thing filming. I can almost guarantee you that it would happen to you and I when somebody just shows up and they're not supposed to be there. God, who is the God full of surprises, wants to get Zacharias's attention. And Zacharias is stunned, and he's awakened by the angel's appearance. Verses 13 and 14. And the angel said to him, What? Well, we thought he would say, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So the angel tells Zacharias, you're going to be a daddy. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. Not only Zacharias' prayer answered for himself and for Elizabeth, but the nation's prayers will be granted as well as they begin to move towards the Messiah coming because the prophet Elijah, who is John the Baptist before Jesus appears in the scene, is coming. So not only has God answered their prayers, but he's done it in a divine fashion. I want to say something here that's important. There are times in our lives and in the life of our nation as well, or our families, that we just don't sense that God's at work. It's like he's silent, and the conditions become hopeless. God, I prayed, and nothing's happened here. I'm asking you, and nothing's moving. There's nothing that I see that's taking place that's any different. God is always at work accomplishing his purpose, whether you and I can see it or not. He is at work. We're limited in our vision as to what we see, and God's at work in all parameters and areas around us. How appropriate to pick this time of worship when people recognize their need for the cleansing of sin to reveal the redemptive purpose of God by bringing the forerunner and then Jesus. Malachi told the truth, and what he wrote was right. And I'm not going to have you turn to Malachi, just listen to Malachi 4. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will ride with he- rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And this prophecy is true. And now the prophecy of the Old Testament is being fulfilled. You see, God's desire was for Israel to be a model of God's grace, God's mercy, God's salvation, and model that in such a way that it would attract other nations and people to their God. But what happened was 
They began to take God's grace for granted and thought that it was special just for them and that they were special people and that everybody else was an outcast and they couldn't get this special grace from God unless they were Jewish. That wasn't the purpose. Just like us as Christians, if we begin to tell other folks, well, if you don't go to Pine Hill Baptist Church and you ain't got it, man, or if you're not a Baptist and you ain't just got it. No, it's about Jesus and drawing people to him. It isn't about us and how we got it together. It's about he's got it together, and we want to see how God has changed our lives and that he can do the same for them as well. Yes? I think so, too. I love this name, John. I wonder why. John means Jehovah is gracious, and this God of ours is gracious to John. He has the responsibility to go forth in the power and the spirit of Elijah and he will lead the people effectively. And his desire is to get the people ready to respond to when Jesus comes with this message. You know, um, there are a lot of people who are involved in preparation. Those of you who are involved in Thanksgiving meal preparation, there was a whole bunch more stuff behind the scene before people ever sat down and eat, wasn't there? Isn't it amazing, too, that after people eat, they're just scattered, and you go, there's a whole lot more to be done after the meal's over, too. Yes? But the preparation, nobody sees often how much time it took to putting that thing together. John's job is to prepare, get people's hearts ready to repent so that they would receive the message that Jesus brings. He was to get them ready. He proclaimed reconciliation with families, and we read it, with fathers, with sons, and sons with fathers, children with their fathers. And God would use John's ministry to turn many people back to the Lord. Just as the Lord had promised in Isaiah, again, I won't have you turn there, but it sounds like Handel's Messiah. Isaiah 40, comfort, O oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her welfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth a desert highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together, for the Lord has spoken. Luke, look at verses 15 and 17. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, referring to Jesus, in the spirited power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine how excited Zacharias was that he heard this news he was going to have a son and he could finally share this news with his wife, Elizabeth? It seems as if all he heard was that he was going to have a son from the angel. Now, some of you ladies in here will say something to us, your husbands, about something, and all we hear is one part of the message. Okay, I'm guilty of only hearing one part of the message, not these other dudes in here, just me. That's Zacharias. He heard the one part, but he didn't hear the rest of the part. Elizabeth will bear you a son. Stop listening. He thought about his age, and he was convinced by all the talk about Elizabeth. When he and his buddies got together at Hardy's in the morning to have biscuits, he remembered them saying to him, Zach, you know, if you don't have a baby by such such age, I'm sorry, dude, it just ain't going to happen, man. It just ain't going to happen. It's like when people remind you 
constantly of your limitations of the past or something that you have as a dream and they tell you, Mm-mm, I don't think it's ever going to happen. If you ain't done it by now, then mm, no, you just ain't got it no more. I'm, I'm sorry. You once did, but you just can't cut the mustard anymore. And what happens is we live in the backwash of that, and if we believe what other people always say, we are washed up. Now, you would think that the presence of an angel would have shook him up to the point in the announcement of God's word to him that he would have got it and that he would have understood the only way this thing is going to happen is by faith and by me trusting in the Lord. Verse 18, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know for certain? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Instead of trusting God by faith from the angelic message that he got from Gabriel, instead he thinks about his age, and he thinks about his wife, and he decides that a birth of a son is just flat out impossible. He wanted some assurance behind what God said through this angel, perhaps a sign from God. You know what this is? This is unbelief. And unbelief is something that God cannot accept. Zacharias is really questioning God's ability to fulfill his word. That's a dangerous thing when you question God and his word. I wonder if he forgot about Sarah and Abraham. He's not as old as them. Remember always, faith is blessed, unbelief is judged. There's something interesting in the Greek text here that probably is going to seem strange to you, but I want to point it out anyway. There's a small little Greek word for the letter or the word I, which is ego. You know that. We think ego is something where somebody's hung up on himself, but it's the same Greek word. It's not as visible to us in the English translation, but it's used here for emphasis. And when a person says, I am so-and-so, that word ego is inserted in there. And so in verse 18, Zechariah says, I am old. He's emphasizing that I part, I, ain't no way, ain't going to happen. But Gabriel responds and silences the old man by saying, what? I am Gabriel, and I come from the presence of the living God. And you're going to doubt what he has to say to you? Come on, dude, snap out of it. Listen to me. I represent God. It is beyond belief in Gabriel's mind that anybody would question the power of living God. So he responds with words of judgment, but they're mixed with grace. How dare you question God's plan is what Gabriel is thinking. Do you think God is limited to your limitations or by your limitations? Verse 19 and 20. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold... You shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Zacharias received the sign, all right, but it wasn't the sign that he expected. Faith is blessed. Unbelief is always judged. And Zacharias is struck speechless. God had given him a very personal sign that he'd live with for the next nine months. What about you and I? What if God struck us speechless every time we didn't believe what he had to say in his word? Well, I just don't believe. I know God's word says it, but we'd be an awful lot of quiet people here today, wouldn't there? I mean, we'd be, we'd be happy to learn sign language because that's the only way that we could communicate with one another. Well, a lot of texting would be going on. That probably all goes on anyway, anyhow. So he struck him 
speechless. Huh. The angel tells Zacharias, in effect, you just be quiet for a while. You watch God work. But there's also mercy until brings grace, doesn't it? Gabriel could have said, you're going to be silent to the rest of your life. To your dying breath, you're going to be silent. We'll be able to speak ever again. But that's not what he says. He says until John is born and then he is named. Look at verse 21 and 22. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. And he remained mute. This is Zacharias' moment to tell the people of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. And he can't even speak. He's making all kinds of motions. But the crowd recognizes something significant has happened with Zacharias in the temple. And so he wasn't given the opportunity to preach that great word. He just kind of had to give symbols that direction. Tyler, you remember November 2004? It's when I came to you and you brought out that machine to shock my face all over the place because I had Bell's palsy. One side of my face didn't work right. I couldn't drink right. I couldn't eat right. But I definitely couldn't speak right. And I thought at that moment, my preaching days are over. It's never going to happen again. My children had fun watching me at that Thanksgiving. Took my head to the side. And some of you who have experienced some of that know what I'm talking about. I'm so glad that the Lord was gracious enough to me to bring about healing. And Tyler, thank you for your help during those days, if I never told you. To, you didn't shock me and laugh, and that was good, too. You could have, couldn't you? <laughs> but I think he did say something. Well, you've got a lot of character going on in your life from this point forward. Uh, Zacharias can't speak until the long-awaiting fulfillment of Zacharias' prophecy is fulfilled, and John is born, and this baby is named. I'm so sorry for Zacharias that he didn't have post-it notes. I'm so sorry for Zacharias that he didn't have one of those little plastic sheets I had when I was a kid. had that little carbon background, and you'd pull the plastic up, and you'd write on it, and then you'd pull it back out and write notes. All that stuff seems obsolete now, doesn't it? Like you don't even need it anymore. Everything's so technological, you can just throw whatever you want up on a screen. That's what's next with the cell phone in it, where you just throw it up there on the screen for everybody to see it. Probably already exists. I'm just way behind time. Look with me further. In case you think I'm wasting your time, verse 23 through 24. And it came about when the days of the priestly service were ended that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth's wife became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Why did she keep herself in seclusion for five months? We're not told. But my speculation is she was going to wait until she would show that she was pregnant. And then she'd be able to show everybody in that community, look what God has done for me. Notice the next verse. We'll begin at the last word in verse 24, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Zacharias asks, how can I know for certain of the angel? Elizabeth's response is, the Lord has dealt with me in tremendous grace. Now, all of this is great. What a Sunday school lesson we've had this morning. No. There's application to it. Let me give you three truths of application that apply to our lives from this particular passage of Scripture. Because even though we're not through with the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, we're through with our time today. And you say, yeah, thank you. So, three truths. When it comes to understanding God's ways and working in our life like Elizabeth and Zacharias, he's full of surprises. He still is. Here's the first truth I want to leave with you. 
Our impossibilities are platforms upon which God does his best work. Our impossibilities are platforms upon which God does his best work. When you begin to lose hope that a certain family member will never turn their life or repent from their wicked ways and come to Jesus Christ, and that they are stubborn and obstinate and just don't seem to care, that's when God does his best work. When your marriage is stinking and it's sinking and there's no hope of it ever being restored, you go through counseling and it doesn't seem to help. You get all of the books that are necessary. You watch all of the video material together and it doesn't seem like there's any glimmer of hope. That's when God does his best work when the situation seems to be impossible and that there is no way for resolve. With your health, with your job situation, with all the things that frustrate you, none of that frustrates our God. When the night looks his darkest, he does his best work. There are things to be learned, however, during that waiting period when we're in those dark times, which brings us to the second truth or lesson. God's delays are not necessarily his denials. God's delays are not necessarily his denials. God's wait doesn't necessarily mean, nope, that's it. Ain't never answering that prayer. You might as well march on, go on down the road. Just because he doesn't respond as quickly as we think that he ought to respond, his wait doesn't always mean no or never. It might just mean not right now. Rather than let it be a cause for doubt or unbelief, let it be a cause for growth. What can I learn during this time? How can I depend upon you during this time? How can I trust you? What do you want to mold my life with? Mold it with this truth that I'm looking at. How does that apply to me, even though I don't live in that particular time period? How can I become the man or woman or teenager, young adult that you desire me to become? There's a third truth that comes from this passage, and this is that truth. When God intervenes, his surprises are always for his immediate glory and our ultimate good. When God intervenes, his surprises are always for his immediate glory and our ultimate good. Even the unplanned pregnancies, even the unexpected calamities like Zacharias and Elizabeth in this passage of scripture, you may pray for a long time for something to happen and God will answer your prayers in an unusual and in unexpected ways. If you believe that God's only good when he says yes, then you're going to have a hard time with God. You see, God is sovereign. He sees all of pictures in all directions and all situations and how it works together. And he will surprise you of when and how he answers in your life. Many people look at life and they'll say about somebody who dies unexpectedly or at a young age, died too early. They didn't have a chance. God didn't show the mercy that he should have showed there. And so a grieving family or friends begin to wonder about God and his work. How can this situation bring God glory? If I knew all those answers and could put them together for you, I would share them, but I do not. But I know we've got to trust a God who does. This passage we looked at today. What it talks about is that God has a plan, and he has a plan for everyone's life, your life, my life. And the design and the plan of it is perfect for us. 
He's the creator of the universe, and he knows exactly what he's doing in your life and in my life and in the situation in which we live. And I don't know why your life has been like it's been over the past several weeks or months or years. But I know this, that God has brought you to this place to graciously allow you to listen to his word so that you would be pointed to his son, Jesus Christ, to trust him through all things. I noticed that in the bulletin, there were two things that talked about the invitation. One of the words in there was repentance. Repentance is a cool word. It means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. It's when we recognize we're going in a direction we ought not to be, and we stop, and we turn, and move the direction God wants us to go. Jesus Christ is the door through which grace is offered. He even says in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and I will fellowship with him. Paul says in, in Romans, He says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I tell you what Jesus said? He said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are burdened. Sometimes we get pretty burdened by our own sin. Sometimes we get pretty bankrupt in the direction we're going. And he says, come to me, anybody. You don't have to have your act together. I don't want you to be religious. I want you to come to me as you are. So trust him today if you've never trusted Jesus Christ. To my brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathered here today, I would say to you, it's important that we humble ourselves before God and ask that he would give us direction and that we would tell him, Lord, too many times I've gone my own way and I've called it your way and it's not been your way. From now on, I'm going to go your way and not mine. You see, our sin may not be a fact of doing overt wrong. It may be that we're hesitant to pursue righteousness or to trust God's plan fully. That was where Zacharias was. Let's don't get to the point where God has to rebuke us. Let's say, Lord, use me, direct me, guide my life. Let's pray together. And then we'll have the invitation time that's really the Lord's invitation time. Father, thank you for allowing us to look at Zacharias and Elizabeth. Some can identify with them quite well. Others are struggling to identify with them. But all of us know that we need to be people who are recipients of grace and mercy. So thank you, O God, for sending your son Jesus, who is full of mercy and grace, who looks at our sin and doesn't dismiss it, but dealt with it and took it upon himself. As a result of that, he's the only one who can offer us forgiveness of sin. Thank you for that provision. I pray, Lord, that there's someone here today who has never responded to your son or asked him to forgive them of their, life, of their sin in their life, that today they would do so. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever their struggle may be, that they can trust you as the God who can carry them through impossible situations. Help us make decisions today that honor you during this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of invitation and respond as God leads you today? Let me move my staff a little bit.